At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I know a lot of women in various industries today who had an athletics upbringing, played on a high school team or a college team, and now you know many of them have gone far in their fields, in part because of the leadership skills that come out of going through the rigors of athletic competition. The more we can strengthen girls and women's sports, I think the more we can strengthen the pipeline of future women leaders in whatever field may be. That was Val Ackerman. And if women's basketball is a big-time sport these days, well, you can partly thank her. A former college basketball star, she was a driving force behind the WNBA, and she served as its very first president. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Val Ackerman has spent her career in the front row of sports. Today, she's commissioner of the Big East Conference, where she oversees 22 men's and women's sports. Among her many previous achievements, she was the first woman to be president of USA Basketball and took America's women's and men's team to gold at the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. She seemed destined for great things as far back as 1977, when she entered the University of Virginia, one of the first women to receive an athletic scholarship. She became the first female basketball player at the school to score 1,000 points. Listen and learn why Val Ackerman is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. I'm so thrilled to be here today with Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East Conference. She was also the first president of the Women's National Basketball Association. Val, it's absolutely thrilling to be with you today. Oh, Melan, likewise, I'm sure. Great to hear your voice. So as we're here together, uh, we're at peak basketball season. Uh, March Madness is slowly coming to a close. And you have one of the biggest jobs in basketball as commissioner of the Big East Conference. Tell our listeners what that job entails. Well, Milan, it is a, um, a, a kind of a job where it's different every day, which I appreciate. Um, it, is, it is a lot of work involves in a normal year, um, a lot of travel. Um, but in, in very broad strokes for your listeners, uh, the Big East Conference, of which Georgetown is a proud member, uh, is one of 32 uh, conferences at the Division I level of intercollegiate athletics. Uh, that's the highest level um, of athletics participation at the college and university um, tier. Um, we, we have 11 schools in our grouping. A conference is really another word for a, a grouping uh, of schools. We've got 11 now in our league. Um, it is, frankly, uh, an easier way to organize college sports than having Everybody 
sort of be uh, a free agent, if you will, and operating independently. So the job of the conference is to help manage um, the competitive interests of, of the teams that are members. So in our case, with the 11 schools we have, the conference manages everything from scheduling to um, assigning referees to contests. We run um, championships for, for the con- conference for each of the 22 sports that, that we manage. Um, we uh, manage their collective commercial rights. So in our case, uh, that involves um, aggregating TV rights for the 11 schools and then selling them nationally. We have a national television agreement with, with Fox Sports that puts every one of our men's games on, on air. Um, we have sponsorships that we sell. We have uh, big championships like the Big East Tournament at Madison Square Garden that, that we run. Um, and then we serve as an important interface between our schools and the national office of the NCA, which is based in Indianapolis and which is charged with running the national championships for uh, college sports, as well as sort of, um, you know, working through the, the rule book and enacting policies and rules and procedures that all members of Division One have to follow. So we're an important interface, again, between our schools and the national. So it's a fun job um, as a former student athlete, so it feels full circle. But it has been, I must say, a very difficult year with the pandemic. I'm sure. You know, it just sounds so challenging as you uh, walk through all of the responsibilities. And it seems so easy for us to sit in front of our television sets or however we watch these days and take in the games. So how did you get to this incredible position? I mean, was there something about your growing up, even as a little girl, uh, that made you who you are? Because you just mentioned you were an athlete, you were an all-star athlete, and so much more. So how did Val get to where she is? Well, it was an unplanned journey, Milan, probably like, you know, like many people's. I didn't have a um, sort of a a vision uh, about my career growing up. I was an athlete, as you mentioned, growing up at a time when there were very few opportunities, honestly, for girls to play sports. Um, I grew up in a small town in central New Jersey. I was fortunate because my dad was a um, high school athletics director. And he was himself an athlete, was a basketball referee. So he was really um, the one who most nurtured my, you know, my fledgling interest in sports when I was a young girl. Um, I was fortunate to play sports in, co- in high school. Um, my dad was actually the AD, athletic director at my high school. So that was cool. Um, and I played um, sports that were really just getting off the ground in the early days of Title IX, which you know well was, was passed, major federal law passed in 72 opened up opportunities for girls and women in high school and college to play sports in new ways. So that was um, kind of coincided with my, uh, my, high school, my high school years. And then I was fortunate to be able to get an athletic scholarship uh, for basketball at the University of Virginia in 1977. Um, and that was um, not always easy. We weren't very good on the, on the basketball court, lost a lot of games, but transformative as a um, development experience, being able to play sports and attend a, a rigorous school like UVA. And, and so that was really, I, I'd say, a launching pad for me. I went on to law school. Um, I practiced for a couple of years uh, on Wall Street and then was able to land a job in 1988 at the National Basketball Association, then um, in his fourth year under longtime commissioner David Stern. And that was uh, you know, really the beginning of my professional career. Uh, as a as a sports administrator, spent 16 years there, um, eight 
uh, on the NBA side, and then eight as the first president of the Women's National Basketball Association, which was very exciting. And then uh, when I, when I left, really from exhaustion, to be honest, after eight years in that role, did some other things that landed me here at the Big East now eight years ago. So it was a full circle thing, not expected to be where I am now, but a full circle thing because now I get to work in college sports, which really was the launching pad for me back in 1977 as an athlete. Truly wonderful. And so much that you've been able to achieve. You know, you mentioned you were at uh, UVA for college, and I think you were one of the first female students to get an athletic scholarship back then. Yeah, Milan, that's true. I, um, the women's basketball team at that time was only a few years old. Women, you may know this, weren't admitted to UVA um, in, in the college, which I attended until 1970. And the first class graduated in 74. And then I came in in the fall of 77. And so it was a new thing um, on grounds, what we call the campus at UVA, the grounds, um, to have these women roaming around. And then our, our sports teams were all very much in the early stages back then. So we didn't get a lot. Um, I'm actually a tinge, I get tinges, twinges of jealousy when I see what women athletes today get very deservedly, I might add. But it was exciting to be on the ground floor of athletics at Virginia. And um, as I said, you know, I, I took away so much from that experience, the life skills training and um, learning to be part of a team. And having to balance my academics with athletics and all these skills that sound cliche like, but they were very real for me. And, uh, I, you know, safe to say, really helped uh, make me the person that I am today. Well, and sports really are important, both for men and women. And I, I remember reading someplace that so many of the female CEOs today were women who engaged in competitive sports. Uh, so it is great training ground in many ways. Yeah, Melan, I've seen that research. It's true. I, I know a lot of uh, women in uh, various industry sectors who had an athletics upbringing, so to speak. They played on a high school team or a college team. And now, um, you know, many of them have gone far uh, in their in their fields, in part because of the leadership skills that come out of, um, again, going through the rigors of athletic competition, being a captain. In many cases, I was a three-time captain on, on my team. And so I think there is a correlation here. And I, uh, you know, I've often said that um, college athletics are one of the leading providers of leadership training for young women and men alike in our country because of everything taught in ways that uh, aren't really replicated in the classroom. So that was me. And um, I think you're right. I think there, you know, the more we can strengthen girls and women's sports, I think the more we can strengthen the pipeline of future women leaders in whatever field, maybe. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. So, as you said, in 1996, you became the first president of the Women's National Basketball Association. When you took that job, did you have a dream, perhaps is the word, of what you wanted to achieve when you went to the WNBA? You know, when we started the league, Milan, the, the full force of the NBA was behind it. And frankly, the league would not have gotten off the ground but for that. So I could give a lot of credit here to David Stern, the longtime commissioner of the league, who um, sadly passed away last year, um, but really was the, the visionary who understood the importance of women to the game of basketball and um, who persuaded NBA owners at that time to capitalize 
this new league that would be known as the WNBA. Um, so he gave it, you know, we gave it the league's name. Um, it was a really exciting um, launch, came on the heels of the Atlanta Olympics, where women's team sports did very well, gold medals for women's basketball, soccer, and softball. And, uh, you know, we um, were very mindful when we started the league that there had not been much success in building women's pro basketball in this country prior to that time. There were many leagues that had started, failed, some didn't even get past the press conference. But we really thought the NBA, with the NBA behind it, the WNBA had a, had a real shot. And those early years were were exciting. Um, we didn't have really a, um, a a target, if you will, about um, you know attendance or ratings or anything like that. It was it was just kind of this notion of let's get it off the ground, let's see how it goes, let's hope that the product begins to sell itself. Um, once all the marketing gets, you know, we get past that initial marketing phase, and that's that's really what happened. The league is now twenty five years old. This summer, uh, I think it remains a beacon. Uh, for women's uh, professional team sports. And uh, again, I, I give the NBA a, a ton of credit here for being there to support it. And the players, I think, have really proven their worth, particularly over the last um, 10, 10, 15 years, just in terms of making this the kind of entertainment product that fans want to see and will continue to embrace. Yeah, it's really come a long way from the days that you were describing when you first joined the effort. Uh, and I think today about the fans who are just so numerous and so rabid uh, in following women's basketball. It's it's quite an extraordinary accomplishment. So we talked a little bit. You mentioned Title IX, which did so much, still does, to level the playing field in many ways in public education. But equality still seems very elusive for women in sports. I wonder how you see that women's equality today, certainly in this country. I don't know if you have a view about overseas as well. And what are those barriers that we still have to overcome? And, you know, I was just part of a process looking back at the Beijing Women's Conference, which was 25 years ago. And the exercise is, you know, how far have we come? And we've come a long way, but there are still huge gaps. And I wonder what we could do, what you can say about what can be done to equalize things more in sports to accelerate progress. Well, it's a great question, Milan. And when I think about, to be honest, um, all the time, um, I'm, I'm heartened many days because I do think women have come a long way since my childhood as a tomboy, remember that word? Mm -hmm. I um, do indeed. I was called one. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't hear that much, but that's, that's what it was called at the time. A young girl who played sports was a tomboy. And, and so you look back over the last, you know, 40 years or so, 50 years, by the way, Title IX will be selling, celebrating a birthday soon, 2022. Um, and I do think this, this connection between women and sports is, is unquestionably strengthened. I mean, women play sports, girls play sports. Um, women are fans, importantly, of many sports, not just women's sports, but men's sports, recognize the importance of the female consumer. Um, we see these elite leagues that have happened, the WNBA, the National Women's Soccer League. Um, hopefully, there'll be a WNHL someday, NHL supporting women's ice hockey. And of course, the Olympics, you referenced China, um, have been an important outlet for female athletes from all around the world. And in fact, women are now representing about 50% of the participants 
in the Olympic Games. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good stat. That's a good stat. What where we're lagging though, or you know, uh, you know, there there are lags. There are lags in in revenue. There are lags um, in sponsorship support. There are lags in media coverage for the elite outlets. And importantly, this is, this may get to your point. There there are lags in the number of women who are leading. Um, and serving as key decision makers in a, in sports organizations, not only domestically, but globally. You're absolutely right. I spent some time on the board of the International Basketball Federation, and I think I've shared this with you over the years, and it was very frustrating and defeating <laughs> to see how the rest of the world isn't even where we are here. Mm-hmm. I think in embracing participation, female fandom, these elite outlets, and then, of course, leading leading. So I do think we have uh, work to be done for sure. How we get there is complex. It's not one thing. Um, you know, I will say that I hope, assuming the Olympics are played this summer, that will reinvigorate people globally about the benefits of women who and girls playing sports and the importance of having women at the table to make key decisions relating to the operation of these these leagues and these sports, whatever form they take. You know, uh, what you just said about women in sports, uh, women at the table, that's still a conversation in so many uh, fields from running governments to running companies. Uh, so all of this is of a fit uh, in terms of women and leadership and opportunities for leadership. I want to go back to where we started with March Madness and specifically having to do with the NCAA's criticism criticism of them for giving women's teams second-rate facilities compared to the men's facilities that created such an outrage uh, when those photos appeared during the tournament. How does the Big East ensure gender equality? Well, we have, as I mentioned earlier, Milan, um, the the conferences, as, as a conference commissioner, we have to run our own conference championships for all of our 22 sports. And keeping them equitable is is top of mind for us. We actually have 12 women's sports in the Big East that we sponsor and only 10. So we've got 4,100 athletes in our league and many many of them, if not most of them, are women. So uh, we work very hard to make sure that uh, we're conducting our our championships and our competitions in an equitable manner. And that's um, that's really kind of covers everything. I will say we don't have the television coverage. Um, that we have on the men's side, and that was uh, partially due to the interest of our broadcast partner, but hopefully we can address that over time. Um, we uh, work with our schools um, to a degree, but really they, they manage their uh, athletics um, operations on their campuses. So we tend not to get too involved in, for example, what's happening with Georgetown's teams, but I have every confidence. Lee Reed is a tremendous administrator. Sharon Brumell, their senior women's administrator, deputy AD, they do a great job. They, they recognize how important women's athletics are, and they do a great job at Georgetown. And so it goes throughout our conference. Um, as you mentioned, there has been a lot of attention lately to the NCA and some inequities that were discovered at the uh, women's tournament that's going on right now in San Antonio. Um, not defensible, very unfortunate, hard to know exactly what happened. Um, there, there is an investigation, if you will, going on right now about kind of how it came to that point. There was a weight room inequity and there were some other things, testing differences, et cetera. I, I would write some of that off to the effects of the pandemic and the, and the scramble, if you will, to try to get this event produced. 
But there is a, a longer um, term, broader discussion that is being had and will continue to be had about equity in, in women's collegiate athletics, um, the decision-making authority, the amount of resources expended towards different sports. And so I, I suspect this will continue to be a good, uh, hopefully with a good outcome, a discussion uh, over the coming months and into the next year. Well, it's a discussion that has to be had because we've got to close those gaps, clearly. So I, I'm wondering, as you look back and look forward, uh, clearly there have been so many advances that we've been talking about, but there's still work to be done as well. So what gives Val Ackerman hope? Milan, I get, I get very hopeful when I talk to young women. You know, I'm sure you're, you're the same. My inbox often sort of receives an email from a young woman who wants to work in sports, who's a former athlete, trying to consider what, what's next. In fact, I've talked to young women from Georgetown, many of them over the years, who are transitioning to their next chapters. And some want to stay in sports, some want to do something else. And so I've tried very hard. I believe deeply in the power of, who, of one, this notion that we all, every day, can make a difference in somebody's life by an encouraging word, um, or by a piece of advice or a recitation of our own experiences that they can then internalize and think about how that might apply to their journey. So, um, uh, you know, it's just, there, there's efforts, I think, that are as small as that and are energizing for me because I, I, I believe in giving back. And hopefully uh, one of these women someday will be sitting in, in your chair, or my chair, and, um, and I can, you know, look back and say that maybe I was a, a minor contributing factor there. So, it's seeing their energy, um, seeing that they're living in a different world than I lived in um, and I grew up in, um, hearing their optimism um, and their, you know, their excitement about their own futures, I think is, is one. And then, and then two, I, I do, I am mindful about the need to be a constructive participant in the group um, that I'm part of, the tribes that I'm part of, if you will, the, you know, the organization, the ecosystem of the NCAA. And so I've, I've worked hard to just try to, um, again, be a good teammate with other commissioners, working with NCA staff, working with our board, working with President DeJoy at Georgetown and his work. And, um, and, uh, you know, as a person with, um, you know, high hopes and some aspir continuing aspirations, um, I, you know, I, I just feel a, you know, feel an energy coming out every day just to try to keep doing more and doing it better and, and hopefully making uh, life, lives different for others, maybe in ways that I, I didn't experience because of when I came up through the system. Well, you've certainly paid it forward. And I think that's a wonderful, inspirational note to um, end our conversation. And I firmly believe and have every confidence that you've played more than a minor role in influencing and inspiring so many as you've pushed the envelope and made a difference in sports for women and men as you have achieved so much. Uh, so Val Ackerman, it's just been terrific to be able to have this conversation with you today. Congratulations on all that you have done and all the best in all that you will continue to do. Thanks, Val. Yeah, and thank you, Milan, for being such a great inspiration for so many of us. Um, we are we're standing on your shoulders, so thank you. Val Ackerman is a true groundbreaker, and we all have a lot to thank her for. Here are three things I took away from that conversation. First, it's always good to hear, once again, 
about the importance of sports in developing women's leadership. And it reminds us why we need to continue to fight for a level playing field for women athletes. Second, let's step back and recognize how far we've come from the days when any girl who showed an interest in athletics was called a tomboy and when a career as a professional athlete simply wasn't an option for women. Finally, as Val says, we need to believe in the power of one, in the notion that each of us every day can make a difference in somebody's life with an encouraging word or by sharing our life's journey. That's what Val does to spectacular effect. Tune in next Thursday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day.